And so for a long time, I've wanted to, to do a series on grief, on, let me be, use the word, dying, because <laughs> it's a word we avoid. Um, and it's, it's, it's silly to avoid it because it's real. Um, so you can use other words. I'm not saying you have to use the word death. Um, but let me read a scripture before I go on because this might sort of set it into context. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Um, Ecclesiastes is some of the section of scripture that we call the wisdom books, the wisdom books. And wisdom is so important in life because you go to school to get smart or you go to school to get an education or you go to school to get a job, but we don't always teach wisdom or maybe we're not equipped even. I'm not sure. Where do you go to learn about death, you know? Where, where do you go? Where do you go to learn about grieving? You know, you go to a seminar to learn, oh, you know, here's the seven habits of highly effective people. Here's how to manage your calendar and get it into daily to-dos. Sure, that's all fine. That's, that's all fine. But there's one thing you know is going to happen in your life, and that is you're going to die and other people are going to die. That's for sure. And we don't plan for it or prepare for it or even really discuss it much. And so it, it could feel a little heavy, and I'm not going to always avoid that because I think that's okay from time to time. Um, in my family, we don't talk about anything substantial. That's how I grew up. You know, if it gets past the weather or the wolverines, we don't talk about it. But that's not probably, the, that's probably not that helpful in the end. So I'm not trying to be a downer for the next few weeks, but I, I will at least be a realist, as is the wisdom scripture. Wisdom scripture is often contrarian wisdom, transcendent wisdom. It's not the common stuff that people talk about. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. First of all, um, we don't believe that. Let's be honest. Uh, I'm a pastor. Oftentimes I will get a phone call from some friends and say, hey, you want to go hit some, you want to go play golf? You want to go to the lake? And I'll go, I got a funeral. And they, you know, they go, oh, oh, they just stumble apologizing at like how sucky my life must be versus their life out on the lake or the golf course. And it's happened time and time and time again. The call, hey, Chris, you want, I got a funeral. I can't. And, and the, the underlying unsaid thing, the unsaid thing is, oh, you're going to something terrible, I'm going to something good. That's the, that's the implication. You're doing something terrible, or not doing, but you're involved in something that's horrific and terrible, and I'm getting to do something good, and I feel bad for you. And of course, on the surface, on the surface, that seems very true, but Ecclesiastes is saying something. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Nobody signs up for funerals. I was telling the, I do this 8 a.m. Facebook thing on Sunday mornings, and uh, 
sort of the warm-up to this or church for people that are, are, are traveling or whatever. And um, I was telling them, you know, when I was in college, and you know this part of my story, if you've been here, is uh, my, my, my bread and butter in college was I lived at a funeral home. Nobody goes to college thinking, gosh, if I could just hang out at a funeral home. I mean, it, it is honestly the last thing that you think about when you think about going to college. You think about life. What, what, would, what would you say the word would be most people think about going to college? It starts with a P, right? Um, it, it, you, it's, the, it's the polar opposite, to be honest with you. And I remember when I, when I just didn't have any money, and I remember going to the, the office where you go to get a job on campus, you know, and they had all these little jobs, and I had tried them the first year. You know, I refereed basketball games, and, you know, they pay like 14 cents an hour, you know, and, and I realized I'm not going to get through. I'm not going to make it. And the reason that I took the job was because they paid you some small hourly amount, but they gave you a place to live for free. The place that you lived was in the funeral home upstairs. It's just, that's just, it's just not something you look forward to. It's not, I, I sat there, I was just, <laughs> I just remember I was feeling like, this is, this is terrible. I, I got no, I, I don't really have any options. And I, you know what I, what I thought? I was like, I have to talk a friend into doing this with me. So I talked I talk to my old sweet mate. He was from New York, from Long Island. I said, man, could, would you please do this? There were four apartments upstairs. And, there, you know, you rotated. Every fourth week, you were on call all night. And when someone died in the middle of the night, you went out. Not only did you go out, you put on a suit and a tie, um, and if it was midnight, if it was 3 in the morning, if it was 4 in the morning, whenever it was, if it was three times in the night or one time in the night or no times in the night, didn't matter, you kept going. You might be up all night. Being around dead bodies, living in a funeral home, is just not that collegially attractive. <laughs> it, it's, it's the opposite. So why is this in the Scripture? Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. We don't believe that either. I'm being honest. We can be honest for a minute. We don't believe that. We're, we're teaching Charlie right now, put on your happy face, you know, which I don't know why. It's probably abusive what we're teaching her. But anyway, we're, so we're teaching her because she gets whiny too much, you know, and so... Um, anyway, I'll probably, we'll all probably need therapy at the end, but put on your happy face right now and pretend you're happy. Um, somehow we believe you should always be happy, should always be laughing. Now, don't get me wrong, I love to laugh. I, I, and, and the scripture says laughter is like medicine. There's no doubt there's some good things in laughing. But it's almost like we have a culture that we're addicted to, I just need to laugh all the time. I just, need to, I just need to be constantly laughing. Because a sad face is good for the heart. Man, there's a head scratcher. A sad face is good for the heart. What I want to do through this series, if you'll hang in there, there'll probably be no one here next week, is uh, uh, <laughs> I'll understand, um, is I want to probe that, that sentence. How could this be good for your heart? We live from our heart. We move from our heart. Everything comes from your heart, just so that you know. 
So if you're going to change, if you're going to be, it's going to come from here. Somehow sadness is good for your heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, verse 4. But the heart of fools is the house of pleasure. It's as if it's saying it's foolish to just think you're just going to be happy all the time. This morning I was making toast for Charlie. Somewhere along the line, someone introduced her to cinnamon sugar toast. I was trying to keep it straight peanut butter. Whenever she heard the word toast, you just know that peanut butter is on it. But she learned that there is a thing called cinnamon sugar toast. Game over for peanut butter. So I try to mix it in, you know, get some peanut butter and some cinnamon sugar at the same time. But now she's just figured out, if I put a piece of cinnamon sugar toast, I saw her this morning, she grabs the toast and turns it sideways and just, what? You were there. Licks off all the sugar. And this is a human nature, right? What we want to do is turn our life sideways and we want to just lick off the sugar. Don't we? I just want to laugh all the time. I just want to be happy. I want everything to be good. I don't ever want to bite the grain. Hurts my tummy. Life has sugar and life has grain. And if we're going to be healthy, we got to put our toast back down where it needs to be. That's true. So you can go somewhere else and say, just, um, we're, we're skipping the next six weeks at Orchard Grove. We're going to comedy morning. You, you, you can. And, and, I, and I'm not going to blame you, but I'm just here to tell you in the wisdom it says you've got to turn the toast sideways again. There's sugar and there's grain. And if you think about it, you know, all the things that you learn in life and all the seminars that you go to and the people that you listen to and they try to help you with all these different things, everybody's preparing you for something. But this is the one thing that's preparing you for the one thing that is certain. It's just in our minds we've made it unpleasant. There's part of it I think that are, but I, can I say this? I think because we've pushed it so far away, we don't talk about it, we don't deal with it much, we missed something. Did you, did you realize, you know, my grandma's generation, my, my great-grandparents, um, you know, they were born in like 1899, I believe, in 1900, and um, everyone died at home back then. Just, just think about this just for a minute. When you died, you died at home. You died in the bedroom, you died in the living room. That's where you died. And what happened when you died? Well, they took your body and they, they washed it up and they wrapped it. They... Fast forward, you know, I, I knew my great-grandparents. I, I, I knew them. I, I knew my great-grandma. She, she lived uh, well into her like, the 90s. And so I would go visit her as a high school student. This is not so far removed. But today, you know, Someone dies, they, they say 70% of the people that die now die in an institution. Just think about how much has changed. 
I'm not saying it's wrong or immoral. I'm just telling you these are the facts. This is how life has changed. So it's a very sanitized, as grievous as it is, it's a very sanitized experience for a lot of people because then right away there's all these professional people that handle it. You get what I'm saying? They handle it. Where we had to handle it before. We had to deal with all the unpleasantries of what death was. But you were connected to it. Think about how much, how much has shifted. And people are writing about this that, you know, we have a society. I mean, the reason we, that I don't let Charlie just lick the sugar is why? Is anybody awake? Why? It's not good for her. Are you awake? Is anybody here? It's not good for her. You, you would say, it's not good for her. You can't just lick sugar. You must eat grain. But we, emotionally and spiritually, as a society, have said, but it's okay in this area. Just lick the sugar. Don't, don't open your eyes to it. They just took the body. I remember the first funeral I ever did. The first funeral I ever did. I was uh, just finished college. I was traveling in India. I was lost. I was. It's a long story about how I was in the middle of the night trying to find somewhere to stay. I ended up at this hotel. I had a guy's name. I had a guy's name. I still remember his name. Claude Roberts. I still remember that name. I was in a city called Jaipur. Now, you know, we didn't have Google. We didn't have internet. I didn't know anything about how big is Jaipur. I, if you'd ask the average person here, they'd say, Jaipur, I know, some village somewhere. No, it was like four million people. I wake up in the morning, I'm like, i got to find Claude Roberts. And I, I realized when the sun came up, this is a big city. How am I going to find? So I, I walked, it's a true story, I walked, I mean, probably like a half a mile. To, I saw a college it was Xavier's College. I walked in the front. Uh, there was a lady at the desk there, and I said, I'm looking for, I don't know. I, I didn't think she was going to help me find Claude Roberts, but I, I said his name because I thought, are there you know, yellow pages? How, how do you find people? She says, I go to his church. You go to his church? 45 minutes later, here comes on his scooter. True story. Picks me up. I, I, I'll probably have pictures someone can show you. Picks me up on his scooter. He's on his way to a funeral. I'm an American Bible College graduate, so it would be an honor for you to speak at this funeral. I don't. I don't. I've never done a funeral. I don't know anything about funerals. I just know books. Yeah. How about, how about most of your jobs? Right. You got trained, and it was a bunch of books. He's like, but I don't really know how to do anything. <laughs> Honest, he goes, he takes me, because I was wearing shorts. He takes me to the hotel. I pick, I change my clothes. I'm on the back of his scooter, going through the streets of Jaipur. Zoom, zoom, looking for, God, please, a verse on death, dying, something. I have my first funeral. Where is it? It's in the home. It's in the living room. 
Now, I'm, not, I'm not here like trying to change American culture. That's not my goal. I'm just trying to point out one simple thing, that we aren't comfortable with Ecclesiastes 7. We don't think it's wise. We think it's better to keep it separate. Because it gets, why? Here's, here's what I think. I think it gets down too deep. You ever been talking with somebody, you can tell they're about to cry, and they exit? They excuse themselves? You ever been talking to somebody, and it's getting too deep, and they don't want to go there? Our culture is raised on sugar, cinnamon sugar. It's the cinnamon because it you know, justifies it. But we need the bread. I'm not saying you shouldn't put a little sugar in your life. I, I'm all about it. We, we need to do this series because we're going to die. We need to do it because we're all going to lose loved ones. We need to do it because we all are walking in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where every one of us is walking. There it is, right there. That shadow is over each and every one of us. Some people will talk about, you know, so-and-so just got news that they're going to die. And, of course, I, I, I get that. I understand that as a pastor, what that means to be sensitive. But can I just be as blunt as I've ever been? You're going to die. Here's your, new, here's your news. Here's your notice. You don't know when. Chris is dying. I was going to start the message that way, and I thought, that's a little much. Maybe it won't soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I knew I'd have your attention. Just say, hey, I want to let everybody know I'm dying. But it's as if we brush it off as true as it is. Other cultures, other generations have handled this better. Our, our wallets, our financial capacity has allowed us to avoid this more than others. We need to do this series because we're going to experience loss in all kinds of life, or as some have called it, many deaths, many deaths. A, a, a separation of a relationship is like a mini death. Just a, a, a loss of a job, a loss of a career, a loss of an, of an identity or a business. It's a mini death. But here's the thing that you need to know. Just as death is sure, the other word for mini death is change. Who here just, you get something good going and you want it the same. I mean, this is me to a T. I get something good going, I want it the same all the time. Get a good vacation, a good, good, Vicky and I go on a great date to a great place, and I am just going to reenact that 1,000 times. We're going to dinner here again? Yep, we're going again here because that was good. And what we think is we'll be in the same mood, the lighting will be the same, the service will be the same, the steak will be the same, and it's never the same. Life keeps changing. When did you guys hire the rude waitress? This was very different last time. Nothing is, because life is constant change. That's what death is, it's change. And, and we're going to do this series because of this, because this is the Christian story. 
death, resurrection. Death, resurrection. Death, resurrection. Let's not avoid it anymore. And let's stop saving it for Easter. You know, a couple things I learned about being a pastor over the years. First of all, on Easter and Christmas, no one's listening. They're just here. A lot of people here, no one is listening. You shouldn't even get up there and talk. Just get up there and smile and leave. They got things to do. Dear God, why are you wasting your time, pastor? Honest to God. Make them feel good and go home. They got things to do. So you have to talk about Easter when it's not Easter. I'm close. I've been doing it a few years. Is there... Is there... No... Or bobby pin. Can you move it? I thought we got him new shoes. This is what people talk about on Easter. You invited her again? They're not listening to this. So I'm going to take an off-Easter time frame and talk about Easter, death and resurrection, because it's not a one-time story. It's the great pattern. By the way, think about Jesus' resurrection for just a minute. And, and by the way, it, as I was mentioning, you know, when I did the introduction to grief message, um, this ends good. This ends good. But as I said, we, we don't want to, it's not always good to skip to that. You don't always want to skip to the end of the book. It ends with hope. It ends with resurrection. Okay. Absolutely, and we're going to go there. But we're going we're gonna to get bumped around. I'm going to bruise you up a little bit. Jesus' resurrection. He's the same, and he's not the same. And I think that's important. Because part of what we want, we want the old back. I want, I want the old Jesus back. I want him to look the way he looked. But he had scars. Huh? Now think about that. That's significant. If you think about it, if you wrote the resurrection story or you designed it or you did it, how would you have him? Scarless. He had scars to touch him. The other thing was there were times he was recognizable and there were times he was not recognizable. What I'm going to hint at is that the resurrection, what is to come, the other side of your grief in any area of your life, it's better, but it's still different. So if you're going to spend the rest of your life wishing for something that was, you're going to waste your life. Because what God does is always better, but it's different. We limit ourselves. We limit ourselves when all we want was what we had. Sometimes Jesus would show up in a locked room. He didn't do that before. Sometimes he looked like this, and sometimes he looked like that. And it seemed like he ate with the disciples, so he could be like that, but he also seemed to have this intangible quality to him. What if God has something prepared that you've never even thought of? That sounds like the Apostle Paul. Eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard, nor has it ever entered into the mind of man what God has prepared. 
You can't get it. You just have to receive it. And the reason that I want to do this series is what we've been talking about is I'm calling it growing through grief. Growing is because we need to grow. I mean, I spent a lifetime on weaseling out of uncomfortable conversations. That's like my family has a PhD in that. When the topic got heavy or whatever, someone just always made the change of the subject. I know I'm not talking to you. But to change as a person, really, it has to get down there. And that just starts to feel. This is about a feeling. When you lose somebody, you feel something. I was listening to a medical doctor talking about how ill-equipped they were in helping people because a lot of what they did, it was in the cancer area, a lot of what they do is helping people at the end of their life to be, to be real, to be frank. And it was all, everything they're taught is just clinical, you know, just stick with the science, stick with this, but not emotional. But this is a deeply emotional experience. If you've ever lost somebody close to you, you know how much it tears in here. But what I want to suggest as I read this scripture in closing is that we can grow through our grief. And what I mean by it is we can become better people. There's a lot of good people here. A lot of good people online. But it doesn't mean we can't be better people. <laughs> Jesus talked about crazy stuff. Love your enemies. There's one we don't do. I got all day. There's one we don't do. It doesn't change the, doesn't change the yardstick. That's, that's the yardstick. That's the end zone. Love your enemies. So God gives us like little cute two-year-olds. And he just jams a little wedge in that rugged, crusty heart. I'm talking about mine. You can think about yours if you want. Just get a little wedge in there. I'll get that thing beating again. I'll make him feel love. And I'll work, I'll work, his, work him towards loving everyone, even his enemies. That's a long way. But it's a journey I'm up for. All right, forget you guys. I'll stay over here. It's a journey I'm up for. So here's the scripture. I think, team, if you guys want to come, we'll, we'll, are we going to sing? Is there going to be music? Okay, great. Second Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So when you have that feeling that's here, it's ripping at you. In Psalms, it says, God is close to the brokenhearted. To me, when I read that, I think it's Psalm 34. 
To me, when I read that, I believe God's always close to us. But I, I believe what happens is we become a heightened and aware in a super sensitive way to the presence of God. If you've ever felt your heart tearing, you know what I'm talking about. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those. It changes us. You can't really, you can't. You can try, you can sympathize, you can listen, you can be good to, but you can't really comfort somebody if you haven't felt that deep comfort. It's, 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 it's just not there yet. You have to receive it to give it. You have to experience it to share it.